good morning. It's great to see everyone here. We have a lovely crowd this morning, and I do appreciate you coming back to uh, support me. This is an encouragement. Uh, I know there's a lot of other places you could have been, and many of you would probably like to go and heard Brother Randy this morning, but I do appreciate you coming back. Uh, I am thankful that we do have visitors, and I'm also very proud that my parents is here, my mother-in-law is here. Uh, I'm glad that they could come out today and uh, sort of help support me in this. As Brother Andrew read, Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Today we're going to talk about the door. It says, If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in with him and dine with him and he with me. So I guess we're going to talk about the door. The first thing is we need to describe what is a door. A door is a, it's usually a movable, solid barrier for opening and closing an entranceway. A door represents either access or denial, depending on if it's open or closed. The doors can be made of a lot of different materials. They can be either wood, they can be metal, they can be glass, they can be plastic, they can be see-through. They can be very decorative, very plain, and they can also be very strong. <clears throat> the door gives separation. The door to your home, it keeps the elements out of nature. It either keeps them out or keeps them in. In winter, it keeps the cold out and the warmth in. And in the summer, it keeps the heat out and that cool, refreshing air inside. A door also gives us protection. It keeps uninvited guests out. You know, although we buy doors that look nice, we buy doors to separate us from unwelcome company in our home. And also just think about a, the bank's vault door. The size, the weight, the strength of that. They're not always the most attractive, but they are very secure for a reason to keep out those unwanted guests. And even the front doors to our home, most of them are decorative to some degree, but they also have a degree of strength and security that we can keep out those, un those unwanted people. We use those doors to allow people in that we want in. We also use that door to separate those who we don't want to enter and who we don't want into our home. You know, to be on one side of the door of a closed door means to either be separated or cut off from those on the other side. You can't be on both sides at the same time. You know, Noah built an ark with a door. In Genesis 6, 16, you shall make a window for the ark, and you shall finish it to a cubit from above, and you shall set the door of the ark in its side, and you shall make it lower second, and third decks. When God told Noah to put a door in the ark, he didn't tell him to put two, didn't tell him to put three, didn't tell him to put ten. You put a door in its side. There was only one door to enter that ark. Every creature that God allowed to live entered through that door. Noah, his wife, his three sons and their wives all entered through that door. Genesis 7, 13, 16. On the very same day, Noah and Noah's sons 
Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast after, after its kind, all cattle after their kind, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind, and every bird after its kind, every bird of every sort. And they went into the ark two by two, of all flesh which is the breath of life. So those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut them in. The Lord shut that door. The door to the ark was separation. It separated Noah and his family from the wickedness of the world. That door was protection. It protected them from the elements of nature that was getting ready to take place. And finally, that door was salvation. It was their life-saving event that God shut them in. Now just stop and think. Just imagine a minute in your minds the sounds that Noah and his family probably heard once that door was shut and the rain started to fall. The people outside, they were beating on the door saying, Noah, let us in. Let us in, please. Noah, we want you to come back and teach to us about what God wants us to do. Noah, we're ready to listen to you. Tell us what God wants. Tell us how to put God in our lives. But Noah had already taught them. It was too late. But as those sounds went, eventually there was silence. The only sound that was left was the falling of the rain. The door to that ark was not only protection from the elements outside, but it was his family's life-saving salvation. Now, a door gives us privacy. We all need our private times. When we were getting ready to leave the house this morning to come to church, we went into the bathroom, shut the bathroom doors, we took a shower and changed clothes. And at night, many of us, when we get ready to go to bed, we shut the bedroom door because we want to, as we settle down, we want to block out the light, we want to block out any sound so that we can sleep and rest better. You know, there's been days at work that I've gone in and shut my office door because I needed quiet time to finish a project that I was working on. I needed to be undisturbed. And that's what a door does. It gives us that privacy. You know, Jesus even tells us that we're to pray in private. Matthew 6, 6. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in a secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. You know, it's behind those closed doors that we can actually let ourselves go. We can talk to God one-on-one, -on -one, and we can talk to him like we're talking to a friend. That's the time we don't need to have a structured prayer. We need, I guess, as the old cliche goes, we need to let go and spill the beans. We need to sit down and talk to him, tell him how we feel, how things are going in our life, and not just do a structured prayer to him. That's the time that when we are in that private, behind that closed door, we can actually talk with him like talking to a friend. 
You know, all doors are not physical. <clears throat> There's an implied door. We've all heard about the door of opportunity. You know, every door we encounter and become face-to-face -face with, you know, it's not that physical door, but it's rather it's an idea, a concept, a dream, or a desire. You know, just because the door of opportunity presents itself and it looks appealing, it doesn't always mean it's from God. You know, and likewise, just because a door looks ah, a little uncertain and doesn't mean you should walk through it, the key is knowing is how to discern which one is from God and which isn't. <clears throat> you know, I don't ever want to miss those open doors just because I'm afraid to walk through them. But I also don't want to take every opportunity of a door that's open to me because I can't assume that every one has got God's hand touching it. It's got his blessing to it. You know, the devil opens doors to us also. And we have to be careful which one we open. But, you know, there's a way of knowing which one of those doors of opportunity is from God. The first thing is the door that God opens will never con contradict his will. God will never tempt us with something he opens. James 1.13, let no man say when he is tempted, I'm tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. A good example. We feel like the door of opportunity has been opened to us for a new job. You can know right away if God opened that door for you or not. Because first thing is, God's not going to open a door for you that's going to cause you to sin. He won't give you a job that's going to cause you to miss worship. That's not what his intent. He wants us to worship. Hebrews 10.25, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. God's not going to cause us to sin. And also that door that God opens to us, he's going to require us to depend on him. Matthew 6.33 but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. And Hebrews 11:6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. You know, an open door is a good thing. We rejoice when that door of opportunity is opened up to us. When God opens that door, we should step through that door by faith, without hesitation, because God is doing something special in our lives for us. But you know, on the other hand, a closed door sort of gives us a feeling of disappointment. We want to do what we want to do when we want to do it. And we definitely don't want to hear God say no. But, you know, those closed doors in life are just as precious as those open ones. And we need to remember one thing. When God closes a door in front of us, we need to walk away. We don't need to try to force it back open. There's a reason he closed that door. But, you know, the most important door that we're ever going to face in life is the door of Jesus Christ. Jesus 
is the door of salvation. Revelation 3.8. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door that no one can shut. And Jesus tells us in John 10, verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus was the shepherd, and he's the shepherd of his flock. He is the doorkeeper. He's the one that takes care of his sheep, and it's only through him that we can keep that salvation. Jesus is the door of salvation. You know, there was only one door into the ark. There's also only one door into heaven. There's no secret entrances. There's no trap doors. It's only through Jesus. And you know, there's a vast difference between being on the inside and the outside. When that door is closed, it's not possible to be on both sides at the same time. Jesus taught us a parable in Matthew 25, the parable of the ten virgins. These virgins, they went to a wedding feast. Five of them were prepared, and five of them were foolishly not prepared. The bridegroom was late coming, and the virgins had fallen asleep. Well, about midnight, the bridegroom showed up, and the five wise virgins, they trimmed their lamps to show light. But the other five realized they didn't have enough oil to last all night, so they wanted to get more from those that had theirs. But the wise ones said, no, we only have enough for ourselves. So the foolish ones were forced to go back into town and to buy more oil. But while they were gone, the bridegroom came, and he took the party inside those who were there. Matthew 25, 10 through 13. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. You know, afterwards, those virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man is coming. You know, those foolish virgins, they weren't ready for the party because they didn't properly prepare. Once that door was closed, they were excluded from the party. And you know, the day is going to come, if you're on the wrong side of the door, it'll be too late. And that door is not going to open. It's not going to open for you. It's not going to open for anyone. It will remain closed. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 12, 30. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. I want to tell you a little story. One day there was a young man. He had decided to invite the Lord to come home with him to stay with him. So when the Lord arrived, this young man, he offered him the best room he had in the house. He took him upstairs, down the hallway, and he said to Jesus, said, Jesus, this room is yours. Stay as long as you like, 
and you can do whatever you want in this room. Jesus, it's all yours. That evening, when the young man, it was time to go to bed, he got in bed. About midnight, he heard a knocking at the door. He got up and he went to the door. And when he opened the door, there was three demons there fighting, trying to get into his house. Well, he tried quickly to close that door, but he had to fight hard. And every time he tried to shut the door, one of the demons kept sticking his foot back in. Well, he finally kept fighting, and eventually, with a great struggle, he managed to slam that door shut. He went back to his room, and he was exhausted. And he thought to himself, can you believe that? There Jesus is upstairs in the best room that I have sleeping, and I'm down here battling these demons. He said, well, maybe he just didn't hear what was going on. Well, the rest of the night, he laid down, but he didn't rest. He, he was restless. Next morning, he got up. Things were just like normal. Things was going well, no problems. Everything was doing good. But because he didn't rest much that night, when it was time for evening to come, he went to bed early. And about midnight, he heard the office rucker at his front door. He really thought they was going to tear the door down. Well, he put his robe on. He stumbled back downstairs. And when he opened the door this time, there was a dozen demons there trying to break into his house. And for more than three hours, he fought with every last strength he had in his body. And he finally overtook them, and he shut the door. But as he did, he just sort of slumped against the door because he was absolutely exhausted. He was drained of everything he had. But he didn't understand. He said, I just don't understand this at all. Why didn't the Lord come to my rescue? Why did he not come to help me? He said, I feel absolutely alone. So tired, he didn't even make it back to his bed. He just found his way to the couch, and he just collapsed on the couch. Well, the next morning when he got up, he said, I'm going to ask the Lord about this. I'm going to ask him about all the stuff that's been happening. So he quietly went up to the room, and just very quietly, he knocked on the door. Well, Jesus opened the door, and he said, Lord, I don't understand what's happening. For the last two nights, I've been fighting demons, fighting them away from my door while you lay up here sleeping. Don't you care about me? Didn't I not give you the very best room in my house? And the young man, he could see the tears beginning to build up in Jesus' eyes. But he didn't stop. He went on. He said, I just don't understand. I really thought that once I invited you in my house to live with me, that you'd take care of me. I gave you the best room in my house and everything that went in that room. What more could I do for you? Jesus just looked at him, <clears throat> and he spoke softly. He said, my precious child, I do love you, and I do care about you. I protect all that you've released into my care. But you know, when you invited me to come and live in your house, you brought me to this lovely room, and you shut the door to the rest of this house. 
I'm Lord of this room, but I am not master of this house. I've protected everything that come to this door. No demon has ever come into this door. With this, the young man, he realized, he fell on his knees and said, Oh, Lord, please forgive me. Take my whole house. It's yours. Take everything I have. I'm so sorry I never offered that to you on the front end. I want you to have control of everything in my life. With this, he just fell at Jesus' feet. And he said, Lord, please forgive me for being so selfish. Jesus smiled. He reached down and touched him on the shoulder. And he said, son, I've already forgiven you. I'll take care of everything from now on. That night when the young man went to bed, he wondered, I wonder if the demons will be back again tonight. He said, I sure hope not. He said, I'm exhausted. I can't do this again. But, you know, Jesus told me, he said, he's going to take care of everything. And he said, I trust that he will. Well, about midnight, he heard a banging on the door, and this time it was the most frightening thing he had ever heard in his life. He got up, and he walked down the hall just a little bit, and he saw Jesus walking down the steps of that front door. Jesus opened that door with no fear whatsoever, and lo and behold, standing in front of him was Satan himself. He was in absolute awe of what Jesus did. Satan was standing at the door demanding to come in. And Jesus looked at him and says, What do you want, Satan? At this point, Satan bowed down in front of him and he said, Oh, I'm so sorry. I must have got the wrong address. And he jumped up. He and his demons, they all ran away. You know, there's a moral to the story that... Jesus wants all of us, not just part of us. He'll take all that you give him, but nothing more. How much of your heart have you given to Jesus? Are you keeping a portion of it away from him? Have you given Jesus Sunday morning? You're here. What about the rest of the day? Will you be back tonight? Will you keep Jesus in your life all during the day today? Or you say, yeah, Jesus, Sunday is yours. But what about the other six days? Are those other six days mine? And you can only have this one day? Christ is our saving protection. But the only way he can save us, he has to have all of us. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven but he who does the will of my Father. And as a reading earlier from Revelations 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. You know, the door to heaven and eternal life is through Jesus Christ. It's through his death on the cross through his burial and water baptism for the remission of our sins, that he is the door. You know, we spoke about the sounds that probably Noah heard and his family 
when the rain started to fall. Just imagine the cries that will be heard when Jesus shuts the door to heaven. You know, everyone outside begging and praying for forgiveness. Lord, just please forgive me. Give me a second chance to be baptized. You know, there's one thing about when that door shuts. There won't be any atheists. There won't be any differences of opinion on religious beliefs. There won't be any debate whether you have water baptism or not. Everyone will know what the truth is at that time. But the sad thing is when that door shuts, as we said, the door gives separation. When that door shuts and it's closed for good, we'll be separated for eternity from God and Jesus. Jesus is that door. We still have a chance today to make our lives right with him. You know, opening the door to becoming a Christian is easy. Hear the word, Romans 10, 17. Believe, Mark 16, 15 and 16. Repent of our sins, Luke 13, 3. Confess his name before men, Romans 10, 9. Being baptized him with the water for the remission of our sins, Acts 2.38, and then remaining faithful for the rest of our life, Revelation 2.10. You know, Christ is knocking at that door right now. It's easy. All we have to do is open that door. It's up to us. As that young man, as he brought Christ in, into his life, he brought Christ in, but he didn't give him the whole, he didn't give him his whole life. He kept part of it back, and look what he did. He fought the demons. He fought them hard, just him alone. But once he let Christ completely end his life and let Christ take over, look how easy it was. Jesus fought Satan himself, and there was no battle. Jesus, all he had to do was speak. Satan bowed down and left. And he can do that same thing with us. All we have to do is give our life to him, not part of it. We have to give it all to him. If you have a need, God has given you that door. Or if you've opened that door in the past and have wandered away from it, all you got to do is come back. That door's still open. Jesus is still knocking at that door. We have time today to open that door and follow him. If you've got any need in your lives, Jesus is knocking. Won't you come now as we stand and sing?